Peace be upon you. There was a quote I read the other day from Mark Twain, and it uh, really struck a chord with me. It says, what gets us into trouble is not what we don't know. It's what we know for sure that just ain't so. So again, I'm going to read that one more time. It says, what gets us into trouble is not what we don't know. It's what we know for sure that just ain't so. And we see this example in the Quran where people believe they know something for certain and it doesn't end up being true. And a prominent example of this is in chapter 68, verses 17 through 32. And it's talking about two people in their garden. And I'm going to read it. It says, uh, we have tested them like we tested the owners of the garden who swore that they will harvest it in the morning. They were so absolutely sure. A passing storm from your Lord passed by it while they were asleep. By morning, it was barren. They called on each other in the morning. Let us harvest the crop. On their way, they confided to each other that from there on, none of them would be poor. They were so absolutely sure of their harvest. But when they saw it, they said, we were so wrong. Now we have nothing. The header says, they should have said, God willing. 68.28. The righteous among them said, if only you had glorified God. They said, glory be to our Lord, we have transgressed. They started to blame each other. They said, Woe to us, we sin. May our Lord grant us a better one. We repent to our Lord. So you see this example of someone who's so absolutely sure for what they hold to be true, that they did everything they believed humanly possible for to reap a good harvest, to become rich. And what they negated was this aspect that what they hold to be true, that just isn't so, was the detriment to their fall. Uh, and again, the takeaway from this is that they should have glorified God. They should have acknowledged that God is the one who's allowing this to happen by God's leave. Um, another example of this is in 9107. It says, there are those who abuse the masjid by practicing idol worship, dividing the believers and providing comfort to those who oppose God and his messenger. They solemnly swear our intentions are honorable. God bears witnesses that they are liars. So this is a group of people that they solemnly swear that their intentions are honorable. So what they hold to believe to be absolutely true just ain't so. And uh, the last example I have of this is in 5818. It says, The day will come when God resurrects them all. They will swear to him just as they swear to you now, thinking that they really are right. Indeed, they are the real liars. And this is actually a common <laughs> belief is called cognitive dissonance is when we realize that the reality does not match our beliefs, and as opposed to fixing our beliefs, what we do is we try to alter reality. And uh, in this example, you know, they were so absolutely sure uh, that they swear that they were in the right when they were actually liars. And we have to think, you know, what is it that we know for sure that could possibly be wrong, and God willing try to fix that. And you can look at this in the realm of just to show our level of vulnerability uh, through science and technology in the lessons of history. And we see that in the past, you know, there was a time when the human being was absolutely convinced that the earth was flat and the earth was the center of the universe. And when later on they found out that no, obviously the earth is round, but not only is the earth not the center of the universe, what they thought the universe was, was just a galaxy among billions and billions of galaxies that make up the universe. Then, as little back as 100 years ago, we were absolutely convinced that the universe was infinite and that it was static. And later on, from the discoveries from Hubble, we came to the realization that no, the universe is expanding, and it's not static, it's finite. 
and it's not just realm, you know, limited to the realm of uh, these uh, kind of like uh, cosmology sciences. Uh, when you look in the realm of the medical technology, medical understanding, uh, not too long ago, they used to think that bloodletting, you know, using leeches to suck out human beings' bloods, that this was a proper uh, approach to relieving ailments and sickness. And in the 18th century, uh, physicians used to think that it was okay to go work on a, uh, doing an autopsy on a cadaver, a dead body, and then immediately go and try to deliver babies. And when they were uh, being attributed for killing, you know, millions and millions of uh, women and children uh, because of this contamination, uh, their response to the uh, the people making this inquiry was that, you know, gentlemen didn't have dirty hands. Uh, and they were offended that someone would suggest that their contamination was the cause of these deaths. And if we're looking for mo more modern day examples, uh, we can see in the example of, say, the planet or what used to be called the planet Pluto, right? There was a time when Pluto was classified as a planet, and that's no longer. Now it's, I believe, a uh, minor planet. Uh, or even look at nutrition. You know, not that long ago, they used to tell us, eat plenty of carbs, plenty of pasta, plenty of bread. And uh, they didn't <laughs> they didn't realize until later that that's probably the predominant factor to the uh, mass level of obesity that we have in society is that people were so fixated uh, on the thought that fat made people fat when in actuality it's excess carbs and sugar uh, that makes people fat. And um, even if you look, like, so say in the 1990s, we had the Human Genome Project, and this was the project that they were going to map out the entire genome of the human being and figure out, you know, how many uh, protein coding sections of DNA uh, the human being had. And uh, when they did a, uh, um, they asked the scientists at that time, you know, how many uh, genes do you think the human being had? On the low end of the estimate, they said 100,000. And after the Human Genome Project, they came to the realization that we have close to 20,000 genes, you know, a fraction of what the low-end estimate was. And uh, what's funny is then they dubbed the 95% of the uh, non, at least the, the part of the, the genome that they didn't understand, this junk DNA. Uh, they called it, yeah, junk DNA. Um, and then later on, they came to the realization that this quote-unquote junk DNA is actually the switches that are determining which genes are being expressed and which ones are being silenced. And there's a whole field of study known as epigenetics that revolves around this understanding. And a lot of this, it, uh, the inspiration as far as doing this podcast, doing this, uh, this piece, came from a book I read a couple years back called The Half-Life of Facts. And uh, the author is called Samuel uh, Arbisman. And uh, he also did a TED Talk, which I highly recommend to check out. And you can see just how, you know, what we hold to be true is in a constant state of flux. And he uses this expression half-life. So what's half-life? Uh, half-life is an expression that comes from uh, nuclear physics. And what it's used for is to d determine the amount of time necessary for the radioactivity of a substance to diminish by 50%. So what does that mean? So let's say, for instance, you take a substance like plutonium that's highly radioactive. How long do you have to wait for the radioactivity of that plutonium to decline by 50%, to be half of what it is today? And in the case of plutonium-238, the half-life of the radioactivity is 88 years, meaning that if you waited 88 years, the amount of radioactivity is going to diminish by half. Uh, in the case of plutonium-239, uh, the half-life is 24,000 years. 
And while one atom of plutonium might decay in a second or in a thousand years or 24,000 years, uh, we don't know what we can see in aggregate on average for 50% of that plutonium to decay, it's going to take this much years, you know, this many years. And he's applying the same principle of uh, half-life uh, that's used in, again, nuclear physics and biology uh, towards the realm of information theory. And he's showing that in any study that there's a set amount of time that researchers have concluded that the relevancy of that information is still going to hold true. Meaning that if you had, for instance, a biology textbook that within a span of time, let's say 25 years, 50 years, half that information in that textbook is going to become obsolete and prove to be erroneous. Now the question is, we don't know what half per se until the discoveries are made. But here's the thing. The question is, what is truth? If truth has a subjectivity of change, what is truth? What is real? Um, even if you look at the units of measurement, this is something that has changed over time because we say like, okay, you know, how long is a mile or a kilometer? And that question is in constant flux. In the past, they used to, architects, when they were designing buildings, they would use the distance from their elbow to their, uh, basically their forearm to determine the length of uh, the, the building and how, you know, how many cubics uh, it's going to be. Um, and then even for, uh, this is an interesting fact, when they would uh, give uh, recipes, because they didn't have stopwatches, what they would do is say, if you said this prayer, it's going to take three prayers uh, for you know the, uh, the the water to simmer hypothetically, uh, and they would gauge time by how long it would take to say that prayer. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. But what's interesting too is the fact that this refinement of understanding doesn't make the past wrong per se. What it does is it allows us to refine exactly what is truth. So there's a famous quote, it's from uh, Isaac Asimov, and it says, When people thought the earth was flat, they were wrong. When people thought the earth was spherical, they were wrong. But if you think that thinking the earth is spherical is just as wrong as thinking the earth is flat, then your view is wronger than both of them put together. And again, while we realize that, look, we're constantly refining our understanding, it doesn't mean necessarily that what we knew in the past was wrong. What it means is that we're coming basically to a point of understanding what is truth. So a better question is, what is absolute truth? And by absolute truth, I mean what does not change? What truth can we hold today that we can hold tomorrow, that we can hold to the end of time? Or another way of putting it, uh, by not changing what is real. You know, everything around us uh, is subject to change. Uh, take, for instance, our memories. Uh, each time we recollect uh, a memory, our neurons have the opportunity of creating a new memory, uh, different than the one we had before. Uh, our bodies are in constant state of change. Uh, the atoms that make up our bodies are in a constant state of change. Uh, they estimate that every 7 to 10 years, every single atom in our body is replaced with a new atom, meaning that that body that you think you had 7, 10 years ago is a completely different form of mass than you are today. Uh, even the stars, the mountains, these are things that you know people hold to be true uh, are subject to change. Uh, obviously, you have plate tectonics with the shifts in the mountain, but there's going to be a time that the stars in the mountains are going to be wiped out. In 81, 1 through 6, it reads, when the sun is rolled and the stars are crashed into each other, the mountains are wiped out. 
the reproduction is halted, the beasts are summoned, the oceans are set aflame. I mean that the, the, the stars, the, the mountains, the oceans, all this, it's, there's going to be a time they're going to be put away. So what do we have left? And what we have left is God. In 5526, it reads, Everyone on earth perishes, only the presence of your Lord lasts, possessor of majesty and honor. Which of your Lord's marvels can you deny? In 2888, it reads, You shall not worship beside God, any other God. There is no other God besides Him. Everything perishes except His presence. To Him belongs all sovereignty, and to Him you will be returned. One of God's names in the Quran is the truth. You know, while everything else is subject to change, the one thing that never changes, that will never be subject to change, uh, that will be the benchmark for all truth, is God. And what does it mean to change? To change means to become different. When things change, uh, typically they are either improved or they break down. But these aren't characteristics that apply to God, because God is the definition of perfection. God is the definition of absoluteness. And there's an entire chapter uh, entitled The Absoluteness, and it reads, In the name of God, most gracious, most merciful, proclaim. He is the one and only God, the absolute God. Never did he beget, nor was he begotten. None equals him. For God, there is no beginning, there is no end. There is no uh, point of refinement, no point of improvement, no point of you know being uh, broken down. God is all-encompassing. And if God never changes, then God's word never changes. That means that the words in this Quran will never change. They will apply today just as they applied before the creation, just as they will apply on the day of resurrection. 13.1 reads, What is revealed to you from your Lord is the truth, but most people do not believe. In 1781, it reads, The truth has prevailed and falsehood has vanished. Falsehood will inevitably vanish. What was true from the beginning of time, what will be truth at the end of time. And the only thing that we can hold true to that is God and His Word. And we see that from 1781, that all forms of falsehood, all forms of uh, misinformation are going to inevitably vanish. And the only thing that's going to last is going to be the truth, and that truth is God. In chapter 13, verse 17, it, God gives us an analogy between truth and falsehood. It reads, He sends out water from the sky, causing the valleys to overflow. Then the rapids produce abundant foam. Similarly, when they use fire to refine metals for their jewelry or equipment, foam is produced. God thus cites analogies for the truth and falsehood. As for the foam, it goes to waste, while that which benefits the people stays close to the ground. God thus cites the analogies. So what's the takeaway in chapter 13, verse 17? From my understanding, when God uses the analogy of foam, what he's uh, getting at is that when you have a metal like silver or gold uh, that's been impacted with impurities, the way that the metal uh, workers will refine that metal to eliminate those impurities is either typically through a pressure wash or through uh, high-intensity heat. And what this does is it produces foam. And the foam is the waste product of those impurities. And what you're left is, with is what you're actually uh, striving for, which is the silver and the gold, which do not change. Meaning that you can have gold and silver from you know millions of years ago that have been highly diluted th through impurities. Put them through this refinement process. Burn away all those impurities. And what you're left with is the silver and gold that, you, uh, that has the real value. And you burn away those impurities. And those impurities are the falsehood. And that silver and that gold, that's the analogy of the truth. The truth is going to stick with us. Truth doesn't go anywhere. Uh, just like 1781 reads, it says the truth has prevailed and falsehood has vanished. Falsehood will inevitably vanish. This is the same process. 
In 3449, it reads, say the truth has come, while falsehood can neither initiate anything nor repeat it. And my takeaway from this entire podcast is that God is our foundation. He's our benchmark for everything good, for any form of uh, question we have in regards to our salvation, our morality, our values, our priorities. That if we benchmark that against what God tells us in this Quran, that we will never go astray. We will never be in a position to think that we know something for sure that just ain't so. And to end this, we're going to look back at the uh, quote from the beginning of the podcast from Mark Twain, where it says, What gets us into trouble is not what we don't know. It's what we know for sure that just ain't so. So God willing, let's not make the same mistakes. Uh, Let's always strive to do better to grow in understanding, uh, to use the words that God gave us in this Quran to lead a better life, uh, to get closer to God's salvation, and um, inshallah make it back into uh, God's paradise. Until next time, peace and God bless.